This morning as we go to the word, we look to the Lord, God of the word, that he might anoint us to hear what he has to teach us. We'll meditate on his word. Allow his spirit and his word to speak to us. For there is comfort, there is strength in his voice. Speak, Father, this morning. We just commit ourselves into thy hands. Speak to us, Lord. Strengthen us through your word. Help us to be steadfast in our faith and in our walk, Lord. Help us, Father. Help us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 This morning we'll get in to go to Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 to 41. We had looked at this portion almost two years, not two years, less than two years back, but we need to keep going back to certain portions. <clears throat> On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Storms, storms, storms. Yes. yes. Somebody said, everybody is in a storm. You are either getting out of a storm, you are, you are in the middle of a storm, or you are getting into a storm. And we just don't know it. Okay? You cannot escape it. Like Job said, as sparks go up, so is man born unto trouble. So one of the things which we learn here is that storms can come, happen anytime without warning. Some storms are because of our own making, because we have sinned. Solution is repent. Some storms are because of other people's actions. Hear from the Lord what to do, wait it out. Some storm seems to have no natural cause at all. There's a natural cause. Science will explain to it. But some storms do not have a natural cause. It has a supernatural cause. In this case, the storm is, I believe, demonic because Jesus rebuked the storm. In the case of Jonah, that storm was of divine origin. Scripture says the Lord sent a storm. 
Okay, so some are natural storms because of, I'm not saying because it's natural, God is not in control or he doesn't know, but natural causes. But some have supernatural causes. You also can be sure <clears throat> that you can be absolutely in the center of God's will. And the storm can still hit you with the strength of a hurricane. Okay? If you have doubts, ask the disciples how many storms they faced. Okay? Or check Paul's resume. The storms he faced. But why does God allow storms? Let's leave the natural, which is common to all men. Why does God allow storms in a believer's life, in a child's life? Why should he send? Why does he send? Go to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll read from verse 24 to 27. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, another very familiar passage. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So storms are basically to test our foundation. Okay, the purpose behind every storm which God allows in his children's life is to see if our faith is grounded in Christ or not. No other faith, remember the object of our faith is God. Have faith in God, not faith in faith or faith in anybody or faith in the arm of flesh and our resources, all this. Okay, it's not. The purpose of storm is to see if our faith is grounded in God or not. How genuine is your faith to so God? Our foundations are being checked. Because if our foundations are not strong, then the structure doesn't matter. The Bible does not say the structure of the man who built on the sand was different from the structure of the man who built on the rock. The structure could have been the same. The whole material could have been bought from the same shop built by the same construction crew. The only thing that was different <coughs> was the diff, the foundation. And the foundation matters. Okay, And God will allow storms to come into our life to see whether our faith is cerebral or whether it is from our heart. Cerebral faith will not allow help us to go through the storm. It is good to have it in your head, but storms will make sometimes allow it to come down to our heart because it's being... Our foundations are being tested. In this case, you will see this is a threefold storm in Matthew chapter 7. There's the rain that comes from above, right? There are floods that come from below, and there are winds all around. Storm from above, storm from below, and storm all around. And you know what? This is a perfect storm. And in that storm, one structure absolutely collapsed, while the other structure stood and the difference was in one structure, 
It was built on the rock. And what is the rock? Jesus says, the rock is this. One, you hear my word. Second, you do it. That is the rock. Not just that you hear. You hear and you do. You hear and you obey. You hear and you obey. If you hear and you obey, you can be absolutely sure, God says, the storm will not destroy you. You will come through the storm. So if you go back to Matthew chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, it all begins with a call. That same day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. It all began with the call of God saying, let us go to the other side. Remember, whenever there is a spiritual movement, there will be opposition. People who do not face spiritual opposition are also not moving spiritually. When God says, told us, probably very soon we'll have last year's, okay, and this year's. When God says, stretch, expect opposition. Expect storms. Prepare for hurricane force gales. Category 4, category 5, category 6, they are coming. If you don't stretch, no storms. Devil is happy. You may be happy now. You will be unhappy another day. Okay? Remember, whenever you start building, there was opposition. As long as Nehemiah was sitting in the capital of Babylon, eating, drinking, merry, taking care of the king's needs, there was no issues. But the minute he went to Jerusalem and started building the wall, opposition arose. Okay, so please remember this. God says, strengthen, enlarge, start. And we will see opposition will arise. <clears throat> God has a purpose. Faith is never static. Faith is a verb in the Bible. Okay, it's not a dogma. In the Bible, faith is a verb. It is always moving. So Jesus said, now if you look at that, on the same day when evening had come. It is evening. And you go to sleep. No, Jesus said, let's move. Let's move. Let's go over to the other side. Because God has always a plan. Okay, God always has a plan. And the evening's plan is not to go to sleep, have a nice solid dinner and go to sleep, but let us go over to the plan. So what was the purpose of the storm? Storm. The purpose of the storm was to see whether we can apply our faith, stretch our faith. Okay? But every storm has an agenda. It will either destroy you <clears throat> or it will strengthen you. Okay? Please understand. Every storm has an agenda. The agenda of the devil with the storm is to destroy you. The agenda of God, the plan, the purpose of God is to strengthen us. And not Caution for believers, storms happen even when Jesus is right in the boat. Okay, Even when he is in the boat, storms happen. Storms will happen when Jesus sends you and he is not in the boat. Okay. So, whether Jesus is in the boat... Jesus is not in the boat. If Jesus is sending you, expect a storm. If you look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, this is another storm. 
Oh, oh, oh. Not look. Wait, wait. Get my... I think I'm really poor at numbers. <laughs> I get my numbers always. Pastor Vijay is so strong in numbers. And here I am, you know. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's leave that aside, okay? No, when he had sent them, okay, it's okay. And uh, that's when he walks on water and gets into the boat and everything is still. So remember, if he's sending you out and there is a crisis, he has not left you. He may be in the boat, he may not be in the boat, but he has not left you. Please remember this. Okay, storms will happen. It will happen even if he's right there in the boat. In Mark 4 and verse 38, scripture says he was in the boat, but he was asleep. He was in the boat, but he was asleep. In the midst of a storm, it is better to have a sleeping Jesus than have no Jesus. Okay? It is better to have a sleeping Jesus than have no Jesus. Ask the world. They have no clue what to do. Okay? It's better to have a sleeping Jesus than no Jesus. Or rather, applying it, having at least a sleeping faith than no faith at all. Okay? A dormant faith. Meaning you have read your word, you have meditated your word, you've done your daily devotions, and the storm hits. At least there is something there inside. What about the dude who is hit by a storm? He has never gone to church. He has never read his Bible. He never heard a sermon. What does he do? He has nothing. He has nothing to fall back on. Okay, so it's better to have in your boat when the storm hits a sleeping Jesus than no Jesus. Somebody said, no, Christians are like tea bags. You never know what they are like until you put them into hot water. Okay, and I experience that every morning because I got this box of green tea. And each one of them is a different thing. So every morning it's an experimentation. Okay. Ex- every morning it's an experimentation. And Christians are like that. You never know what they are until they fall into hot water. When the storm comes, when the trial comes, when the testing comes, you are revealed. Whether it is your faith or your lack of faith. Okay. So yesterday we had looked, or this week we had looked at Daniel's three friends. And when the storm came, they stood unshakable, immovable. Okay. And there, scripture says, they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay. This is the constant refrain of people who have their faith is dormant. Dormant. They expect to be carried through always. They cannot stand on their own with God. They have, they always dependent upon somebody's prayer, somebody else to carry them through. And the reaction is always what? Don't you care? Meaning, it's blame the other for your problems. Don't you care? In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now it happened as they went, 
that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Okay. This is the same issue the disciples are going through. He says, Martha, you know what? Your primary problem is not what you are doing. What you are doing is fine. <laughs> you are cooking for me and all those who are there. It's perfectly fine. The problem is your heart is not at rest. Your heart is not at rest. You are troubled. It is one thing to have cares and it is another thing to be troubled by your cares. Everybody has cares. Everybody has trials. Ask the richest man in India whether he does not have trouble. Of course he has. All kind of troubles. He's taken a lot of money from Facebook and Facebook value is going down. If Facebook crashes, what happens to the money he borrowed from Facebook? Or if Facebook invested in his company, five or six billion dollars, they put it into Reliance, right? So it's always tension. The marketplace is a place of incredible tension. You never know. Another administration is supposedly taking over next uh, week. They're already part planning on a $2.5 trillion stimulus program. Where is this money going to come from? Who are you borrowing it from? China, right? Who's buying to buy, going to buy your treasury notes? Who's going to buy? It's that dude who buys it all, right? So, nobody knows how the economy is going to go. Okay, How the economy is going to go, which way it is going to go. So, it doesn't matter whether the richest man, the poorest man actually has less troubles. Lazarus had very little trouble. <laughs> okay, His only trouble was which dog to let lick his swords. Okay, they were fighting. Other than that, no, he didn't, he didn't have to worry what all to eat. He only had to worry what to eat. Some scraps will come today. So his poor man's worries are different. Rich man's worries are different. But everybody has trials. Everybody has worries. And the problem is not the cares of the world. Whether you are distracted by your cares, your focus has gone. Focus has gone. The focus goes from your eyes are off God, the absolute trust in the providence of God, your eyes are now going to yourself. You know what? My sister doesn't care for me. First it began like, why does why is Mary sitting there and listening to the word of God? She should be coming and helping me. And from there, goes to her. How come he doesn't notice I'm working alone and he's allowing my sister to sit over there? Okay. First is the other, and from there is the other. First you are mad with your brother, and then you're mad at God that he's not mad at your brother. Okay, that's how it is. First you're mad at your sister. Then you are mad at him that you also don't care. It's okay, I understand her, she doesn't care, but how come you don't care? And you are teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, you do not care, my sister has left me 
She doesn't care. She left me to serve the Lord. And you don't care that she has left me to serve you. Therefore, you tell her to help me. Jesus answered, Martha, Martha, <laughs> you are worried and troubled about many things. That's your problem. You are restless. But one thing is needed. What is that? Not that you should not work. No. One thing is needed. You should be at rest. Then you will be able to see your situation clearly. And Mary has chosen. He's not commending Mary for not working. Okay? But he's commending Mary for not being distracted. Her eyes are upon me. If your eyes were also upon, I understand you're working, you're cooking. But if you're listening while you were cooking, you would not have been distracted. You're not listening. You're listening to other voices. You're not. You're listening to other. You are not. Your eyes are not upon me. You're not trusting me in this whole situation. And this is the issue with the disciples also. The disciples had also walked with Jesus, but they had not cast all their cares on him. The Bible says, right, cast all your cares. We'll come back to that later. There was only one thing both the disciples and Martha needed. That is, keep their eyes on Jesus. Have absolute confidence in the Lord that he is with me through this. He's not going to send us out alone into a storm. 2021 is going to be tougher than 2020. He's not going to send us out alone. He's with us. Through it all. The question is, question we need to ask is, how could Jesus be addressed in the midst of this storm? Fast asleep. How is he addressed? How is that Jesus did not tell Mary, get up and go help Martha? At both places he is addressed. How come? How come he is addressed? Psalm 121 is a very powerful psalm of rest. How our rest comes. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence dusk come my... Is this KJV? Yeah, if it's KJV, it's okay. NKJV, okay. They are also using whence, okay. Okay, this is from where we have our song. I lift my eyes up unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is, a, this is an incredible song of rest. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. And then, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. It's one of the things. He will not allow my foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Jesus is absolutely clear. I heard from my father. He told me to go to the other side. He will not allow my foot to be shaken. I can sleep in the midst of a storm. Okay. When he started, it was calm. When he was sleeping, the storm came. But the storm is not disturbing him because he's absolutely sure of his father's hand upon his life. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Why do we have rest? How can we have rest? We can have rest because the God who called us, who chose us, put us into this purpose, neither sleeps nor slumbers. 
He is watching over us 24-7 and he will not allow us to be shaken. So if we are shaken, he is not the one who is shaking us. He may shake everything around us, but he doesn't shake us. We are shaken because we are troubled by many things. Okay, we are troubled by many things. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. We have to ask ourselves, am I my keeper? Or is the Lord my keeper? If I am my keeper, then I am going to be shaken. If I have to rely on my strength and my energy and my resources and my wisdom to navigate through this storm, then I am my keeper. Then I am not going to come through this storm. It's going to shake me. Even if I come through, I would have lost much of my belongings, my strength, my peace, everything. But the Bible says the Lord is your keeper. And we have to ask ourselves, is the Lord my keeper? Do I really walk along like believing the Lord is my keeper? The Lord is your shade at your right, right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day. So it doesn't matter whether the calamity comes during day, nor the moon by night. Whether it comes at day or night. Okay, It doesn't matter when you are working or whether you are resting, sleeping. Whether you are aware or whether you are unaware, it does not matter if God is your keeper. He will keep you. He will keep you. Verse 7, He shall preserve you from not some evil, from all evil. He shall preserve you. And He shall preserve your soul. That is the key. You are shaken in your soul. Body reacting only to that. Body doesn't have a reaction of its own. If your soul is firm, your body will be firm. He shall preserve your soul from, from preserve you from all evil. Storm is a evil. Cyclone is a evil. Trials, all are meant to cause evil. But God says, I shall preserve you in the storm. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. So whether you are going out on a journey or coming back from the journey, whether you are going to work or coming back from work, whatever the nature of it is, okay, meaning whether you are young or whether you are old, whether you are on the way towards life or you are on the second half, the facing out of life, it does not matter. He shall preserve you and forevermore. Meaning his care over you is not momentary. It is not limited by time, age or situation or circumstances. His eyes are upon us always and he will not let our foot to be moved. And we have to to be very careful about this, that he will allow, like in the case of Daniel's three friends, the fire to be raised up seven times over because the wrath of the enemy has been kindled. He has come upon the earth with great wrath because he knows his time is very little. But God says, you don't have to worry. Look at my son. He's at absolutely perfect rest because he had heard from his father, go to the other side. There is work to be done on the other side. If so, if I have heard, you have heard, then no storm is going to stop me or destroy me. Therefore, he rested. Meaning, if we have heard and we have believed, if we have heard and we have believed, this is the year to enlarge it. This is the year to stretch. Then be at rest. No storm is going to stop that enlargement. Now let me tell you something to the church. Even if I heard wrong and you believed what I said, you heard right. Because okay. God will not 
say, oh, no, 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 he spoke wrong. And therefore, whatever you do based on that promise, I will not honor it. No, you still heard right. So the only person for whom it will not work if I heard wrong is for me alone. <laughs> but it will work for everyone else. Okay, That's the nature of God's word. The nature of God's word. So if you have believed in it, expect storms to be there. But the problem is, in the middle of that storms, be at rest. Because he's the author of our faith. Where did it all start? It started with him. Right? He started it. He said, let us go to the other side. So if he's the author, he's also the keeper of that faith. He's the finisher of that faith. He's the perfecter of that faith. That is the rest of faith. You rest. You don't worry. You don't panic. You don't stress. You don't stress. You have to allow God's word to abide in us. This is why he allows storms. How strong are our foundations? People of faith, faith not in has in terms of religion, but people who walk by faith have peace in the midst of their storms. It will reflect in your action. It will reflect in your action. You don't panic. You don't panic. The disciples are panicking. Martha is upset. It reflects in your action. Okay? Like I said, faith has its own emotions. Faith has its own reactions. Faith has its own action. Okay? So remember, all these things have to be there. Okay? Have to be there. The faith has its own emotions. And one of it is, it's calm. No tension. God is in control. No tension. It has its own work. Its own work. I'm not saying the work they did was wrong. Yes. If water is filling your boat, get the water out. But be calm. Be calm. Jesus never condemned their work. He did not condemn Martha's work. He didn't tell Martha, you should be sitting down here with me. Like Mary. He didn't say that. He said, you're worried about too many things. You can cook and listen. These are not huge mansions. These are little houses. Where you are sitting without rattling the pots, you can still hear what I am saying. There's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong in it. Can it be Jewish cooking? So that's not too many, much spices to distract the people. You know, so you don't have to worry. It's not Indian cooking anyway. So God is not saying what you are doing in itself is wrong. But He says, Watch how you do it. Are you panicking? Are you upset? Are you distracted? Then what happens? Faith goes. Faith goes. Like I said, faith is an action word. So in the midst of the storm, when Jesus is sleeping, it's faith in action. It's faith in action. Okay? Sometimes it's reflected in your work. Like Joseph, the way he's working in Potiphar's house. Why is he working like that? Because he believes the two dreams. I've been sold as a slave. Makes no difference. I know what God told me. It's not going to change. So you know what I'm going to do? My work is a testament of my faith. I'm going to use the best. I, I, I've been, I, have, I was just taking care of some of my father's responsibility. He had 12 sons. Here I'm put in a huge household. Let me learn what I can do in this situation. Okay, he said, "You know what? I'm getting a free course in business management. 
I'm going to learn whatever I can in this situation. It's a perfect storm. A young boy has been sold into slavery, but he's at rest. You know why he's at rest? Because he has a word. You know why people are at rest? Restless? Because they don't have a word. They don't have a word. You need to have the word. And the entire Bible is your word. <laughs> it is your word. And you can have also a personal word. Have a word and stand on the word. Believe in the word. And Joseph is at rest. Even when he is thrown into a bigger storm called the dungeon, the king's dungeon, he's at rest. He's at rest. And that's what God is talking about. Because often the storm that is inside needs to be calmed first before we can deal with the storm outside. Okay? That's what he was appreciating about Mary. When he appreciated Mary, what was he appreciating about? He says, she's at rest. It's the same house of two sisters. The guests are both their guests, but she's at rest. She has prioritized, you know what, there is work to do, but there is something bigger to do. Let me be at rest. Let me be at his feet. Let me sit still and listen to what he has to say. Look at Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden onto the Lord. He shall not, he shall sustain you. He will not permit the righteous to be moved. When will he not permit the righteous to be moved? Only if you cast your burden onto him. If you don't cast onto your burden, you are allowing the devil to move you. Don't say God moved me. No, he didn't move you. He didn't move you. You allowed the enemy to move you. You allowed the enemy to distract you. You allowed the enemy to shake you. Why? Because you did not cast your burden onto the Lord. You go to its parallel, which Peter will use, uh, quote in First uh, Peter 5, 6. Look at what he says. 7, 5, 7. Yeah, 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Okay? These are two different, but connected. Cast all your burden. Why? He will not permit the righteous to be moved. And here, why? He cares for you. Okay? And we don't understand the greatest reason for rest or peace is that Jesus is in this storm with us. Whether you are going through as a single person a crisis or a family crisis, a husband, wife, or children, parents with children, office, whatever crisis you are going through at whatever level, if you were called by God and you were sent by God, he's in there with you. He's there with you. He will not abandon you. That's where your rest comes from. He is there with you. The greatest reason for peace is Jesus is with us in this storm. Listen carefully. And the greatest reason for fear is to go sailing without Jesus, not the storm. What you should be afraid of? Not the storm should be afraid of sailing in life without Jesus. That is real fearful. Because you do not know where you will reach. So the greatest reason for peace is not anything else but fact. Jesus is with us. That's the most, the second promise in the new covenant in uh, Matthew 1.23. <coughs> the second promise. 
first is you shall name him Jesus, which means Yeshua. Right? He shall deliver his people from the penalty of sin. Second one promise is they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. What does it mean? He did not just save us from our sins and leave us alone. He says, I'm with you all the way to see that the power of sin is broken in your life, that you will overcome. You will come. Every trial, every temptation, every testing, every storm, I am with you all the way to see that you overcome. That's the second promise in the new covenant. The first is, you know, you don't have to worry about the fear of death. Why are people afraid of death? Because of judgment. Everybody knows patal hai. <laughs> Any religion, there is hell. Hmm? There is hell. So there is this fear of death. And the first promise is, you don't have to fear death anymore. I have taken care of it. You don't have to fear the punishment. Because if you believe in me, I have taken care. What is my name? My name is Jesus, Yeshua, Yeshua. I have taken care of it. I am your savior. Second promise, my name is Emmanuel. Meaning, through this life, which will be full of trials, testings, temptations, storms, hurricane level, cyclone, you can name it. Don't claim it, but you can name it. I am with you through it all. My name is Emmanuel. I am through with you. So the greatest fear should be to go through life without Jesus. If you go back to Mark 4 and verse 37. 437. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so it was already filling. One of the nature of the storm when God allows storms in our life, when storms happen, storms will actually reveal to us what do you value in life. Our entire value system changes. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Now in this case, it's a God-ordained. God sent this storm. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship was about to be broken. Because now there is, the reason is, there's a rebellious fellow in the boat. But he is a fellow who is called by God. So God has to get a storm to get him out of the ship. The mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the Lord. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, I was fast asleep. This is not rest. Okay, This is not the rest of faith or anything. This is a fellow, who's, this is the rest of the wicked. He's about to die, and he has no clue he's about to die. Okay, This is not the man who says, I shall not die and live and pro- de- declare the works of the Lord. He's about to be destroyed, and he has no clue. So the wicked also has a rest. This is the most dangerous rest. This is the most profitable rest, resting in the Lord. This is a dangerous rest that this man has no clue. It is like Lot prospering, sitting at the gate without knowing tomorrow the city is going to be over. What are you sitting at the gate for? Tomorrow, this same time, you would have nothing. Everything you built will be in Sanskrit, we say, bhasmam, <laughs> ashes. Everything is going to go. And you're going to lose your wife too. And your sons-in-law, betrothed. You're going to lose everything tomorrow. And you have absolutely no clue. That is Jonah. But listen what the storm did. They are on a voyage. Okay, They are going to Tarshish. 
They're going on a voyage. So they all have bought goods. They have filled the ship. They are on a trading mission. We shall go. This is what James was talking about, right? Okay, you know what shall? We shall planning, business, profit, money, everything. And then the storm hit. When the storm hit, suddenly profit doesn't matter. Goods don't matter. All you want to save your life. What did they do? They threw it all out. Imagine your house catches fire. What do you run into? What do you run out with? Okay. If you have a child, you run in, run out with the child. If you don't have a child, you run out with the folder which has your certificates. Let the rest go. <laughs> okay. You see suddenly value system? Everything changes. Storms will define what you really value in life. So God allows you. They're throwing everything abroad, lightening the Lord. Acts chapter 27 verse 18. Didn't come. 28. 27, 18, 27, not 28, 27, 18. Another storm here, another obedient, obedient apostle is there. And because we were exceedingly tempestuous, next day they lightened the ship. They threw everything out. They were also on a voyage. So God says, you know what I do? I send storms into your life so that you can throw a lot of junk out of your life. Now, all those who are we who are family people, do we ever wonder and every time we shift houses, we wonder, how did I accumulate all this junk? How did I accumulate all this stuff? God says, where are you going to take all these things away? Storms will show us what do we really value in life? What do you really value in life? You know? Because we are traveling on mission. Okay. Life after salvation is mission. And on mission, you travel light. You travel light. On mission, you travel light. Another word used in the Bible is you are pilgrims on earth. You are on a religious voyage. It's trip. You are not a tourist. You are on a religious voyage. And pilgrims travel light. Hmm. Oh boy. The disciples had nothing to throw out. Okay, They were on mission. They had nothing. All they had was to bail the water out. Okay, And verse 39. Now we go to verse 39. And he arose. Sometimes we have to wait for that moment. We have to wait for that moment. We have to wait until he rises. In this case, he's physically there. So you can shake him up and wake him up. But in our case, he's not physically here with us. Spiritually, yes. So we have to wait until he arises. We can't do anything. The storm is beyond our power. There's nothing we can do to still, to calm, to stop this storm or to navigate through this storm. There's only one way out. God has to arise. And sometimes we don't know when he will arise. We don't know his timing. When he will arise. 
But we know when he arises, things will happen. But when will he arise is the question. And the problem is, don't jump off the boat before he arises. Stay in the boat. There's no safety in the waters. There's no safety in the waters. The safety is in the boat. He got you into the boat. He told you to go to the other side. Stay in the boat. People jump boat. A lot of people are jumping the boat in the US now. So many. So many are jumping. And God allows them to jump. Let them jump. So many are jumping the church. God says, let them jump. Let them jump. Oh, I believed in that man. God said, no. I, be- I told you to believe in the God this man preaches. Oh, Revisaks be heard now. Eh? Do you believe in the God of Revisak? Has he changed? Has he changed? Men will fall. The greatest of men is at the end. Only man. Greatest man is also man only. Mere men. There's only one man. Unshakable, immovable, who never failed. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus said, trust in me. Trust in God. Trust in me. Okay, trust in me. The question is, you wait until he rises. When he rises. When he rises, things happen. Malachi says, when the son of righteousness arises, he doesn't rise like that. He rises with healing under his wings. Okay. You may be bound till he rises. But when he rises, you're unbound. You may be thrown into the fire bound. But when he rises and walks with you, you are unbound. <coughs> you will go out like calves released from stalls. You won't be even walking normally. There will be a leap. There's a man who sat at the gate called beautiful for years. But the day God arose in his life, he was sleeping. A man who had never walked was sleeping. Because the son of righteousness had risen over him with healing under his wings. That is what God is talking about. There is a time when God will arise. Can we wait for that time? If you don't wait for him to arise and try to what we call, like I said yesterday, speed the hand of providence, hasten the hand of providence in your life, you will be disappointed. Joseph tried to do that. The best man in the book of Genesis tried to do that. And two years he was disappointed. Nothing happened. You're trying to speed my hand. His father Jacob tried to speed God's hand. He pretended he was somebody else and stole the blessings, which was his. And he had to run for 20 years of misery. Not just 20 years of misery. A life full of misery because he speeded his father's hand. Okay, God changed him to Israel, but his children did not become Israel. They were still crooks. Still crooks. Okay, he's still crooks. Okay, ten big crooks he had, rogues he had. You know why all those guys became rogues? Because he speeded God's hand. He tried to go ahead of God. He did not wait for God to arise in his life with healing under his wings. So he ran, he went to his father-in-law's place, married two women and two concubines, all these children. He's being pulled everything. He has no power, no authority to correct anybody. And all the first ten became rogues. The eleventh one straightened out because when the eleventh one came, he left his father-in-law's house. So he straightened out. Did you wait? Did you wait for God to arise in your life? Wait. A lot of people don't wait. One of the major struggles we all face is that. 
Every time we goofed up, it's not that often we did not hear from God, we did not wait from for God. Hearing from God and waiting for God's appointed time are two different things. Hebrews 10, 7 says, Behold, in the volume of the book it is written about me, I have come to do your will. For 30 years nobody saw him. Yet the first statement he makes is, I have come for this very purpose to do your will. Where are you? My father hasn't risen. <laughs> he didn't tell me to go. You mean you need to be prepared more? No, I am ready. Why are you not going? Because he hasn't said. We have to wait for God to rise. We have to wait for God to rise. And when God arises, things happen. Psalm 68, verse 1. Things happen when God arises. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. Let God arise. See, that's what we should say. We cannot say when he will arise. We have to keep on saying, let God arise. Let God arise. Let God arise. Let God arise. We have to keep on waking him, shaking him up. Lord, let God arise. Let God arise. When God arises, his enemies will be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. How will it be like? Smoke, that's words too. Like smoke, the wind blows the smoke away. Okay? The smoke is driven away. They're just like smoke for God. So you need to know that, no? It's burning your eyes, it's choking you. But if God were to arise, they would be just blown away. But we have to wait for God to arise. God to arise. So the Bible says, if you go back to verse 39, Jesus arose. He arose. And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He arose and rebuked the wind. And he spoke to the sea. There are two things out in life which we face. One is the invisible and the other is the visible. We have to deal with both differently. This invisible realm represented by the wind. Can you see the wind? No. Can you see the sea? Yes. There's a visible realm and an in, in, invisible realm and a visible realm. What did he do with the invisible realm? He knew the nature of the storm. That's where you need discernment. If it's a storm started by God, you don't rebuke it. You flow with it. With the storm started by the enemy, you rebuke it. So you need to have discernment whether this storm, this wind is from God or from the enemy. Because if it's the enemy, you rebuke it. If it's a God's wind, you don't rebuke it. Jonah could stand there at the helm of the ship and rebuke as much as he wanted. It will just blow him over. Because it was a storm sent by God. And the purpose of the storm was to get him out of the ship. Out of the ship. So you need discernment. What I am going through, Lord, this trial that I am going through, is it of the enemy or is it ordained by you? If it is ordained by you, I will go through this. That is Joseph. This is ordained by you. I'll go through this. I'll go through this. I understand. This is ordained by you. You have a time span for this. This storm won't last too long. I don't know how long it will. But this is ordained by you. I cannot go around it. I cannot go over it. I have to go through it. Some you don't have to. You rebuke it, it will stop. Because it is from the enemy. But some it will not. It will not. 
So there is an invisible and there is a visible. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked the invisible and he spoke to the visible. And we also have to learn. Because one is natural, the other is demonic. To the natural we speak. We speak, right? When we pray over people going through trouble, we speak to them. We counsel them. But when we pray over them, we rebuke the powers that are trying to steal their destiny. That is trying to create conflict. We speak and we rebuke. We rebuke the invisible powers behind and we speak to the person. So Jesus would rebuke the fever that was upon Peter's mother-in-law and he spoke to her. (laughs) Yeah, He doesn't rebuke her. In some cases you may have to rebuke when the demonic and the person gets together and speaks through one voice, then he rebuked Peter. Because you have lent your voice to the devil. So you have to rebuke Peter. Okay, so we always need to have this discernment. Okay? When Peter is speaking the words to the devil, you can't say, ah, Peter, chodona. You can't say that. You have to rebuke because you, are, you don't mollycoddle the devil. That's why I don't mollycoddle the masters. You don't mollycoddle them. They are mouthpieces of the devil on the earth. Do they, we want them destroyed? No. But if the fire falls in the lo- wrong location, you happen to be there, then that's your problem. The warning has already been given. Get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you want to stay there and the fire falls, you die. It's upon you. It's upon you. If you have not blown the trumpet when you see danger coming and then a person dies, the blood is on you. But if you have blown the trumpet and the person chooses to be there and they die, yeah. so warning is already given. Get out of these places. Most of the people sitting in all these places are Christians. And many of them are pastors. What are you doing over there? Judgment is coming. Fire is coming. And you will be the first ones to be consumed. Okay. So the Bible is here very, very clear about it. One is demonic, the other is natural. And when the demonic and the natural come together, you have a perfect storm. Rebuke the demonic and speak to the natural. What is you speak to the natural? Peace. Peace. Be still, peace. Jesus rebuked the wind. You know, with one word, Jesus can calm our storms. Peace, one word. One word. There was a man who visited his doctor. He said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. What is wrong with me? The doctor did the entire gamut of tests. And he said, you're wound up. He said, but give me something for that. I cannot handle this. So he gave him a prescription and said, take it. He went to the pharmacist and gave the prescription. The pharmacist said and said, this prescription is not available here. He said, what do you mean? You're a pharmacist. You want to keep your supply. He said, you said, no. This prescription is not available anywhere. For your disease, which your doctor has recommended, you need to get a Bible and read it. This prescription he has written is Colossians 3.15. That's what the doctor wrote and sent him. And the pharmacist is saying that, you know, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Your entire problem is not physical. It's because you have no peace. You're wound up. You're always tense. Okay. Let the peace of God rule your heart. This is the solution. Peace. If the peace of God rules our heart, most diseases will go out of the window and our Dr. Richard and all will be jobless. 
which is true. Okay, peace of God. It's 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 a natural healing portion. Peace, peace. What did Jesus tell the wind? Sorry, the sea. Peace. What does he speak to us when you are all upset? What does he say? Peace. No, no, you. First peace. Because if you have no peace, I cannot speak to you. You see, first he calmed the storm and then he spoke to the disciples. In the middle of the storm, he tries to talk to the disciples. They are not going to listen to anything. They don't want to hear anything. They are overcome by fear. They are so restless, anxious, worried. Now the first thing God says is, chill. Chill. People don't understand when they come to me, why do I joke to them? To get them calm down. Calm down. Halt him. <laughs> Ask nice questions. How is your children? Oh, that little one. This thing in the church also. You crack a few jokes in the beginning. What? Calm down. You all come tensed from your whole week of labor burden. You never cast your burden. You carried it through the week. You didn't do anything. Now calm down. Be still. Be still. At peace. Then we shall deal with your issue. That's what he's saying. Peace. Gospel according to John. Chapter 20. Verse 19. John 20, verse 19. In the same day, that is resurrection, Sunday evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace with you. What's the first thing he said? Peace. Shanti, Shanti. Shanti. Peace. Okay, Why? Imagine you all ran away and then you see him. They are all tensed up, okay? First, how did he get into this place? Well, they worried about of the Jews. They locked the door. He's come into the room without opening the door. On top of this is the same person you all betrayed. He says, peace. Before I can speak anything to you, peace. And one hero wasn't there. And if you look at words 26. Eight days. After eight days, his disciples were again inside. They're not still outside. And Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Do you see how he addresses? No. Angels will say, Fear not. Jesus will say, Peace. Peace. The first thing is, Peace. Be at rest. Whenever you hear a crisis, you need to be at peace. At peace. Otherwise, you will not be able to hear the word. That's what happens. Whenever I get these uh, messages, emails of somebody critical connected with me personally, our churches, the first thing is I'm at rest. And when I'm at rest, I will hear they will not die and tell them you're fine. If I'm worried, I don't hear. Then what happened? I can't calm them. I myself restless. And restless. Because only at peace you will hear what he has to say. He's speaking. God always speaks. Because we are restless, we are not able to hear. Not able to hear. So he says, peace. And then he speaks to them. Now they can hear very clearly because everything shanti ho gaya. Calm atmosphere. And he will give them a lesson. He will teach them. God has his own reasons why he does things. He does things like that. And that is the, the lesson he taught Elijah on Mount Horeb. Thunder, lightning, fire, earthquake, everything. And God was not in them. And there was a gentle Whisper. When he heard the whisper, he came out. Why did he teach that lesson? He said, do you know why you ran? Because you are restless. You lost your peace. If you had been still, I would have told you how to handle the situation. You didn't hear. 
You were restless. There was a storm brewing inside us. And you didn't hear what I have to say. You know how much time has wasted? Forty days gone and years will go by. And another three has to be raised up before they can deal with this issue, which was yours to deal with. It will pass on to another generation, this curse, to be handled. You know why? Because you did not hear me. You know why you did not hear me? Not because of what she said or the outside issues. It was because you were restless inside and you ran. So he says, peace, peace. It's in peace that we hear. So the first thing God tells us is, this is what you have to do. No, peace, peace. So that you will hear first what I say, understand what I am saying. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2. <clears throat> Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of our Jesus, our Lord. He says, you know what? Not only that, peace can and should be multiplied. Increasing peace. How? As you increase in the knowledge of God, your peace also should increase. This is my God. This is my God. This is my God. This is my God. You meditate upon the quality, the nature, the character of this God. That's how David encouraged himself. He knew he goofed up. He knew he lived in darkness for 16 months, but he came back and he saw what not. This is my God. This is my God. This is my God. This is my God. And you know what? He came back. He came back. And he, do you know what? Within a few days, by the end of the day, um, end of one day, he had peace. End of three days, he had peace multiplied. Not only Amalekites were defeated, not only he got everything back, not only there is peace among his soldiers, now victory has come. Three days later, he had his rival, Saul, is also dead. Peace multiplied. But how did it all happen? It all happened with one thing, is that he had the knowledge of God. Without the increasing knowledge of God, we will always stay at a particular level of peace, not growing. This knowledge of God is a practical knowledge of God. It comes from walking with Him, not just studying about Him. Studying with, we have to study about Him. Otherwise, we cannot walk with Him. But studying alone is not enough. You have to walk with Him. That's why He takes us through these storms. The more storms you overcome, you experience Him. You know what is happening? The peace of God is being multiplied. If we have, we have Dr. Richard here. Dr. Richard, when he finished his first course in medicine, it is called MBBS. And people, a lot of people don't understand what MBBS is. It is not masters. It is bachelors of medicine, bachelor of surgery. The surgery part is practical. The medicine part is theory. He's not BM. Or MB. He's MBBS. So they have these practicals where they will go through that the one have seen one boss with half a dozen chickens. They will follow him wherever he goes through the medical college wards and surgery and everything they go through. They go through these practicals. When we were young, when we saw all these white clad people coming in, we said we felt so good. Fifteen doctors have come to see me without realizing it's only one doctor, the rest are all students. Okay, so this is one is theory, the other is practical. When God gives you knowledge, so it is not a good thing if you don't like practical. The more you study the word of God, he will put you through practical. Why am I going through? Because you learned it yesterday, right? It has to be tested. It has to be proven. Peace has to be multiplied. <coughs> How does it happen? As we get to know God better. To see whether 
whether we really know him. See, you can be with Jesus and not really know him. You can be really in the church and never know the God of the church. You can really read your Bible, memorize entire scripture and not know the God of that scripture. Know the God of that scripture. That is a fact. That's what happened to the Pharisees. Jesus was right before them and they had no clue who he was. If they had really known scripture, understood God, they looked at Jesus, they listened to his messages, they listened to his walk, they listened to his work, they would have said, you know what? Nicodemus understood that. Understood that. He didn't know who he was, but he knew he was definitely from God. Nicodemus was who understood scripture. So he came in the dark. He said, you're definitely from God. Definitely from God. Otherwise, you can't do these works. You're definitely from God. Okay, He understood. But the others wouldn't even acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. Okay. Verse 41. Mark 4. See, at the end of the storm, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey me. Who is this? At the end of every storm, our appreciation and our our knowledge and our awe of God will increase. Who is this? He handled this storm. He handled this storm. He handled this storm. Who is this? Look at Proverbs 30 and verse 4. What a proverb. Not a proverb, it's a verse. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you know. Could they say? No. Can we say? Yes. His name is Jesus. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Okay. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? When he said, be still, something else was happening. Okay, and the sea, he bound the waters on his garment. Still. And what is his name? What is his son's name? If you know, and we will say, we know his name. But the disciples were, what manner of man is this? This is the man. The original Superman. The rest are all fakes. <laughs> huh? they, didn't, they need what? Kryptonite and... Uh, uh, Mass and cape and all. He walks normally. He walks naturally. But at his voice, the winds and the seas become still. Okay. Meaning every storm that comes into your and my life, God wants to reveal his glory through that storm. That's the purpose. That we reveal, understand his glory. We understand his power. And our trust and our faith keeps increasing. But if you go back, you will see Jesus was not disturbed by the storm. Okay, that is verse uh, 40, if I'm right. Okay, 40, yeah. He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? He was not disturbed by the storm. He was disturbed by their lack of faith and their fear. That is what he was disturbed by. He was not disturbed by the storm. We are saying, Lord, what is happening in my life? God is not disturbed by what is happening in my life. He is disturbed by my lack of faith. He is disturbed by my fear. He what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? We are telling Lord, what is wrong with you? He is telling us, what is wrong with you? 
Why are you not intervening? Don't you see what I am going through? God says, I see what I am going through, but I am more worried about how you are reacting to it. Where is your faith? Why are you so fearful? Jesus is not questioning their work. He is questioning their attitude. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Why are you so fearful? How is that you have no faith? Get this clear. Listen carefully. It is not the water that will sink the boat. It is fear that will sink your boat. That's original statement, okay? Original, original, copyrighted, okay? No, not free, free, no patent, no copyright, okay? It's not water that will sink your boat or your life. It's not the storm that will sink your life. It is fear that will sink your life. And that's what the enemy does. He creates storms and intimidates through storms to get fear in. And once fear gets in, you don't deal with it, you will start sinking. That's what the devil does. 2020 was the year of intimidation and fear. Aimed at what? For the church to sink and the people to cower in fear. Fear was infused into the world like never before. Fear. Fear. Fear will cause you to sink. No, If you look at Jacob, Jacob, why did you run like this for so long? I was afraid. I was afraid. I'm afraid about Esau. I'm afraid about Laban. I'm afraid about Rachel. I'm afraid about Leah will say. He's afraid of everybody. The only one he's not really afraid of is God. And the only one you need to be afraid of is God. If you're not afraid of God, you will be afraid of everything else. But if you really fear God, the fear of God is clean. Fear of God is clean. And you walk in the fear of God, all the other fears go. You know what? He's, he's more disturbed, not by the storms that we go through. Is more disturbed by our lack of faith. Now it's talking about the disciples. They have been with him for quite some time. They have learned so much from him. They have theory and practical they have seen. So he's more disturbed by us who have walked with him for long when we see our lack of faith and our fear than a newborn baby. Fear will drain faith away. Fear is like punching holes in a bucket full of faith. Where faith goes, grace doesn't work. Grace does not work. Because you appropriate grace through faith. You access grace through faith. Grace is the power of God which can still every storm. Remember, it's not faith that stills the storm. It's grace that stills the storm. But grace cannot come where there is no faith. And how does the devil steal our faith? Creating fear. Creating fear. We know, no? We have all these acronyms for grace is Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. Faith is forsaking. I trust. And what is fear? False evidence appearing real. It's false. What can the devil do to you? Maximum the devil can do to you is death. Kill you. Using people. Kill you. But that's the first thing you have to decide. You have to decide get death is gain. If you think death is lost, then you are lost. Paul, see, he couldn't do anything to Paul because Paul said, what we live or die is gain. Both is gain. If I live, I will serve God to the uttermost. If I die, I am going home. So what can you do to a man like that? Nothing. The problem is we see life as gain and death as loss. 
And therefore, when fear comes, we are always calculating. Oh, I will lose this, I will lose this, I will lose this, I will lose this, I will lose this. And therefore, you know what? The devil got you. The devil got you. So the devil will kick in fear. And what goes out is faith. Storms are defining moments in your life. Watch out for storms because they check our foundations. Check our foundations. Every time a storm comes, we go, I mean, we are living in the city. So, but we know when a storm hits, trees fall down, power lines goes out. So they have to go out and repair. But when storm, you see, when I was in the Northeast, I had this huge house and we had this bamboo fencing. I used to get the workers to come and they will weave it and put it. And the problem is that the storm comes. And I had just set up the fence all around and the storm came. And I said, ah, storm has come. Now what do I do? Tomorrow morning the whole thing will be gone. Come this thing. And I heard the Lord speak. So I went, opened the door against the wind, stood there and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, you will be still. You know what? The wind passed my house. Next morning, my fence was there. All the other fences had gone. All the other fences had gone. Okay. What do you have to hear? You have to hear? You have to hear? I tried that with other storms. It didn't work. <laughs> you have to hear? It's not that it works every time. I'm not saying the word of God doesn't work every time, but when you're here, it works. It works. I've seen it happen. The height of summer, I've shared this testimony a long time. Height of summer. It was in the month of May, and I was coming to Hyderabad from there. And it was blazing hot. And I was standing by the window, early morning, in the window of my hotel room in Guwahati, and I had to catch this train. And I said, Lord, it is hot. Really, really hot. Emergency travel. Sleeper ticket, non-AC only I got. What do I do? He said, what do I say? And I heard him say, same psalm, the sun shall not smite you by day. So I stood there in this thing and said, the sun shall not smite me, my family, by day. Through this journey. First thousand kilometers from Guwahati to Calcutta, you're still coming through. It was overcast during the height of summer. Then you reach Calcutta early in the morning. It's blazing hot. We get into our compartment. It is hot. Then I see something all the way till Hyderabad. And I know each station. I know which station the train stops for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But there was a miracle happening. So I used to run to the end of this, this thing to look up. There was a cloud following us. And at Vijayawada, you know, the train goes straight to Madras, turns to another side. The cloud turned with us. Cloud turned. See, when I talk about things, I have experienced the hand of God in my life. I have experienced the power of God in my life. Now, because it happened, then does it mean that every day I stand up and say, let the cloud cover me? He says, you are testing me. You are testing me. Did I tell you that? No, you didn't tell me. That's what Jesus says, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. So we have to be very, very careful about it, <coughs> that we have something to stand upon. Okay, we have something to stand upon. What I'm talking about is that, you know, why does God allow situations into our life so that we can experience the power of God? 
so that we can glorify him through it all. So Jesus is not disturbed by the storm. He's disturbed by them. Their response. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? I mean, it's an insult to him. I'm in this boat. I sent you across. I can still understand if you're afraid if I was not in the boat. There he did not scold them. Remember, he got into the boat. He did not scold them. But in this case, I am in the boat. What are you afraid of? So God is checking the foundations of our faith. So we have to answer the question. It's an important question. Why are you afraid? God's questions, where are you? Who told you? What have you done? Why are you angry? Here is a question for today. Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? If next week it's a Biden Kamala hostile dispensation that is going to take over and the whole world is gone at the same way, hostile to the church. Are you going to be afraid? No. No. Doesn't matter which dispensation was. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. You would love a favorable dispensation for the sake of not saving my life, for preaching the gospel. (laughs) Not saving my life, for preaching the gospel. A favorable dispensation which allows law and order and the freedom to preach your faith. That's all we ask. But are you afraid? No. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. Because if I'm afraid, why am I not afraid? Because I'm so bold? No. Because I'm afraid my faith will go. And I will limit the hand of God by my fear. That's the thing. It is not that I am saying, discounting all the possibilities what dispensations have done in history. No, they can do. They can be nasty. They can do all kind of things. Like it's happening all over India. Including yesterday, 12 people arrested. All these things are happening. Over preaching, baptism, all these things are happening. But that's not the point. The point is that if I am fearful, faith stops. And if faith stops, grace stops. And I am left with nothing. Because it's by grace and grace alone. Faith unto faith. There's nothing in the Bible called for a believer. Faith, flesh, faith, flesh. No, there's nothing like that. It's faith unto faith, unto faith, unto faith. It's only the work of grace and nothing but the work of grace. And if grace has to flow, faith has to come. And what did the devil do? He creates these scenarios, which are real. Real scenarios. The storm is real. Absolutely real. The wind is real. You cannot imagine it away. It is real. It's not a dream. It's not a fantasy. It's real. The storm is real. The wind is heavy. The boat is filling with water. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So the question is, why am I afraid? I have to ask a question. If Jesus had been awake, would I have been afraid? Answer is no. If Jesus had been awake, would I have been afraid? No. So why, why, why were they afraid? Because Jesus was sleeping. So why am I afraid? Because my faith is asleep. My faith is asleep. It's not awake. It's a very dangerous sleep. That is Jonah's sleep. The sleep of Jonah. Fast asleep in the midst of the storm. Fast asleep. That's why the Bible constantly says, Oh sleeper, awake. Your redemption is much closer than you think. How can you sleep at a time like this? You should be increasing in your devotion to God than decreasing. You should be attending more services now than ever in your life because your redemption is so close. The door, the Lord is at the door. Why are you, this is not the time to get lukewarm. This is the time to get on fire for God. Why are you asleep? This is talking about spiritual sleep. You should be raising the tempo of your faith, the tempo of your prayer life. All this should be going up 
Because it's got nothing to do who is ruling this world, but the actual ruler of the world, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is so close. His coming is so close. The end of all things are near. Therefore, be sober. Do not be drunk, because that is sleep. Your spiritual conscience has gone to sleep. Your spiritual senses are not working. Your physical senses are saturated with the drink of this world. The worries or pleasures or cares or whatever. Awake. So the question is, if Jesus had been awake, would I have been there afraid? No. If my faith was wide awake, would I be afraid? No. Do not sleep. Because if I am sleeping, that means my eyes are closed. Hebrews 12.2 Eyes are closed. My spiritual eyes are closed. But what I am asked to do, keep your eyes looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When my eyes are closed, spiritual eyes are closed, that means my carnal eyes are open. I am seeing things differently. Understand this. I am seeing things. When my spiritual eyes close, my other eyes open. Then I see things differently. My spiritual eyes are open. I see things differently. When the devil stole a lie and they swallowed it, when she took the fruit and bit that, her one eye is closed, the other eye is opened. The spiritual closed. The carnal opened. And then she saw, she saw it differently. Not the way God had. Before that, when she was walking with God, every time she looked, she said, that is death. That is death. That is death. Because now your spiritual is open. Because that's what God has said. You're seeing through that. But the minute she believed the lie of the enemy and bit into it, that closed. Now this is good. This is not evil. This is good. This is good. Your carnal opens. And suddenly fear comes in. They are afraid and they are ashamed. When? When they heard the footsteps of the Lord in the garden, they heard. If God hadn't come, they would neither be afraid nor be ashamed. You know why people are not afraid in this world? Nor ashamed of their way of life? Because they do not hear the footsteps of the Lord. They do not hear the footsteps of the Lord. If they had a life of fellowship with God, if they had a walk with God, then when one eye is closed, the other is opened. When he comes, there will be fear and there will be shame. There will be. You look at a world, there's neither fear nor shame. Fear of God, I mean. So we have to ask this question because what happens is when my eyes are closed, I don't see him. I don't. Though he's right there in the boat, I don't see him. He's right there, but I don't see him. And my mind is not working properly. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace. Condition? Whose mind is stayed on you? When my eyes are closed, my mind is not stayed on him. My, my mind is stayed on my circumstances and myself. This is the strong, this is me. Boy, I am going to lose. Your mind doesn't function. When you are sleeping, you know, your mind doesn't function. When you are sleeping, you know, your mind doesn't, your eyes don't see. That's what God is talking about. And we have forgotten the word of the Lord. 
And Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2, we saw that, right? Now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Three things are said. First, I created you, Jacob. Second, I took you to Egypt and formed you as a nation. Third, by the blood of the Lamb, I redeemed you. I formed you. I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. Right? I have called you by name. Not that you are just a number for me. For the devil, we are numbers. For us, him, we are a name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. And we forgot this. The disciples forgot this. They all have memorized their Torah, but they have no faith. They have no faith. You know? And that's what God is talking about. Romans 8.35 Why are you afraid? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or so? The question is asked. A rhetorical, rhetorical question. Who shall separate? What can separate you from the love of Christ? Why did he bring love there? What can... We want to know. What can separate us from the mighty hand of God? That's not what is being said. Then we'll say, ah, Lord, let your hand be always upon me. That's not what, It's there, but that's not what it's saying. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, meaning there's a fellow who sends tribulation. Distress, a fellow who brings distress. There's a fellow who brings persecution. There's a fellow who... These things don't naturally happen. There is a force and a power behind these things. But who can separate you from all this? 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Slowly let us go. I would like NIV if possible. 1 John 4. Verses 16 to 18. And so we know and rely on the love of love God has for us. What do you rely on? No. The love of the love of God He has for us, not my love for God. What do you rely on? Let me ask you a question. When a child, a small child, is holding his father's hand and walking, what is he relying on? Without even knowing. Is he relying on his love for God, father or his father's love for him? Father's love for him. Not his love for his father. What is his love for his father? Poor fellow has no idea what love is. His love is connected to chocolate, ice cream, carry on my shoulders, take me to the playground. That is his understanding of love. But what is he actually hanging on? And yet he's so happy. But is he happy because of his, and he's safe because of his love for his father or his father's love for him? So we know, and that's what we have to know, and we have to rely on the love God has for us. And that's what the whole cross is about. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like, what does it mean? In this way, when you are walking in this love that God, absolute trust in this love God has for you, on the day of judgment you are not scared. As you know, he didn't save me to leave me. He didn't start me on a journey to destroy me in a storm. And verse 18 is the important one. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. 
Because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in this love. Once you know how God loves you and you rely on that love, there is no fear. Who can separate us from the love of God? Have you got it? Who can? Answer? Fear can. Fear can. Only fear can separate you from the love of God. And that's why the devil does all these things. Persecution, trouble, darkness, famine, sword, nakedness, everything. What is the whole idea behind it? To cause fear. And fear separates us from the love of God. And when the love of God goes, you know what? We start sinking. Our trust is not in my love for God. My trust in is God's love for me. For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son to save me. Only Son to save me. And that's where the question comes. You know? You know what He, what, what they asked and what He asked. You know what they asked? Don't you care? Did you know what He asked? Don't you love? Don't you trust my love? Why are you afraid? Don't you care? Meaning, you don't love us. Jesus, you could be kidding me. I don't love you. Why are you so afraid? You know why you are afraid? Because you don't trust in my love. You don't rely on my love for you. That's why you are afraid. There are two questions. One they ask and one he asks. Romans 8. 37. Now in all these things, whole list was given, right? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because he will be with us in the storm. He will take us through the storm. Therefore, we are more than conquerors. Because one thing love does is that love doesn't abandon the one it loves. Love does not abandon the one he loves. No. In all these things. What does the Bible say? In? Look at. In? What does it say? In. Not in the absence of storms. In the storms. We want absence of storms. For us proof of love is that there are no storms in my life. That is the devil. God Proof of love is that I am with you in the storm because the storm has a purpose. The purpose of the storm is that one, you grow in your faith. Your faith has endurance. You become a man of endurance, patience and perseverance. And above all, you get to know me more and more, how much I love you, how much I care for you. And I'm with you always. I'm with you always. That's what the Bible is talking about. In, in all these things. Not in the absence of all these things. So the Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what does a storm do? It shakes us. It shakes the very foundations of our faith. And if a foundation is original, then we will not be shaken. Even if you are shaken for an instant, we immediately come back to rest. You know that thing, what is that, that called? Pendulum. pendulum, no? It comes back to rest. It is shaken a little and comes back to rest. It is po- original position is rest. It shakes a little and comes back to rest because we have found our rest in him. You know what's interesting about this? 
If you go to verse 35, Mark 4, 35. Got it? Yeah. On the same day. Mark chapter, you should go back and read Mark chapter 4. Verse 1 to 34 is four parables explaining the kingdom of God. He gave them a real good theory lesson on the nature of the kingdom of God. Verse 35 is practical. What are you receiving? I told you, taught you about the kingdom of God. You know what I have to teach you? What you are receiving is the kingdom of God or just going through one ear and going out through the other here. Because everything will be shaken. But what will never be shaken is the kingdom of God. And all these parables of the sower and the seed and all kind of four parables are there. Each of these parables is connected with the kingdom of God. And verse 35 is the practical part. He takes them through the storm. Practical. And he deliberately, I believe, goes to sleep. Deliberately. I mean, when we did have practicals and all in the physical uh, physics lab and chemistry lab, we were very happy when the lecturer was standing next to us. Everything went right. But sometimes they wouldn't come at all. We had no clue what to do. We were all asking each other how you were near calipers and all. I used to go crazy with this stuff. I never was a mathematician and a scientist. You have to get it to this thing minute, this thing. Where in literature do you need minute? You can magnify everything. <laughs> no. But when you're always looking for the lecturer, will you come, will you come? But in his case, the lecturer went to sleep. (laughs) Lecturer went to sleep. Okay, I taught you. Now this is practical. Four parables, you would say four parables and a field trip. Theory and a field trip. Do you believe what you have heard? That's what God does with all of us. Do you hear what I have heard? The kingdom of God. Do you believe? That's what God is talking about. Now as I close, go to chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadarenes. And who was there? There was a man with an army. You know why they went to the other side? You know why the father sent him to the other side? To deliver a man full of demons, a legion. You know what the devil was trying to stop from that man being delivered? So when you are stretching, the storms will come to stop you from doing a greater work. Because when you go forward with God, the work doesn't get lesser, it becomes greater. And you read the entire chapter of Mark 5 after the storm. You don't have to go there. You can do your homework. Man at Gadarenes. Then he crosses over. Jairus, the woman issue with the blood. Jairus' daughter. You know all this happened in one synchronous line after the storm? Three of his greatest miracles in terms of teaching. You know when it happened? It happened in the storm. You know what the storm was all? To stop you. To stop you. So that you go back and stay still. Not allow the work of God to continue in you and through you. So understand the enemy. The storms are not to destroy you. The storms are to elevate you. 
so that you will become even more useful in the kingdom of God. Understand that. Because everybody is going through a storm. Everybody is going through a storm. And everybody is on a voyage. In Washington, D.C., hundreds and hundreds of people are packing and moving. One dispensation is going out, another is supposedly coming in. So there is movement going on, on both sides. But we are on a voyage ourselves. He's taking us to the other side. Don't forget the big picture. He is taking us on a voyage on the other side. It doesn't matter what storm comes, what opposition rises. We will cross over. We will cross over. It cannot be stopped. Only we can stop ourselves because of fear. That's why Jesus says, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Meaning, where is your trust in me? That's what it means, faith. Where is your trust in me? You think I started this journey to allow you to be destroyed? Or you think for a minute, you think I can be destroyed? At least I am in the boat, right? Okay, I can understand your fear. But you think I will die in this boat? So they were questioning everything. Even they're questioning his, are you the Messiah? I mean, they just started on a journey with him. That's why at the end of it, it is replaced by another fear. They feared exceedingly. What manner of man is this? One fear is replaced by another fear, which is not a bad fear. What manner of man is this? Verse 41, no? What manner of 40... 41. What manner of man is this? They feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And Jesus said, that's the way it should be. Do not be afraid of this fellow who can kill your body. And after that it's over. Be afraid of him who after your body is dead can take your body and soul and throw both into hellfire. Be afraid of him. So they started with one fear, overcame it, and ended up with another fear. Whom did they fear now? They feared him. They feared God. God, God, that's it. That's it. That fear is good. That fear is good. Amen? Let us pray. Father, this morning, we just thank you, we just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Never forget, help us to forget that we are all on a journey to the other side. And you started this journey and you're with us in this journey. It doesn't matter what trial comes or what testing comes, what storms come. We are at rest. And if we are at rest, we too can speak peace into every situation. We too can rebuke the storm, the wind, and speak to the sea to be calm. And we will cross over to a greater work, the more mighty work. He had only taught earlier, never setting the captives free. Demon-possessed man would sit on his right mind at his feet in a few minutes. A woman with an issue of blood for 12 years with no relief, with a touch of faith, would be healed completely. And Jairus' daughter, who was just 12 years old, would come back from death to life. What great things awaited the disciples after the storm. What things await us after we have gone through the storm. I pray, Lord, everyone who hears, 
No one would be discouraged with the storms they are facing. For greater things await for them as they have gone through this storm. On the other side, captives will be set free. The sick will be healed. The dead will come back to life. The power of the kingdom, the glory of God will be released upon all who believe. Let your people believe. Let us ask ourselves this question. Why am I afraid? Isn't he with me? Isn't faith awakened me? Isn't he holding me by hand and taking me through every situation? Hasn't he brought me thus far? Is he going to leave me now? No, he will not. For the one who promised is faithful. The good work he began in me, he will complete in me. I know in whom I have believed. And what I have committed into his hands, he is faithful to keep it until that day. Until that day. When I will cross over from this life to eternal life. For his name is true and faithful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. That we walk with a living God who cares for his people. Who loves us so much. Help us to rely on your love for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Go with us through this day, Lord. If we have a Q&A and questions come, give us the wisdom to answer. Through it all, Lord, keep us close to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.